find it any better? Yes. Yes. Right. I tried plugging it into a different uh, USB port. Maybe that was the problem. Mm. What man can say? A different USB port. The other one must have been infected with ghosts. A g -g -g ghost port. No joke. That is actually um, not not even joking. The pilot that I'm currently uh, doing a rewrite on <laughs> uses that concept as an idea. The haunted computer, or like the airport for ghosts. The ghost. Uh, haunted park. haunted computer. The 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 ghost in the pilot is a. It's way. It's the ghost of a social media profile that got deleted from ten years ago, and it's, it's the person is actually literally being haunted by the ghost of the person that they used to be, and the person they used to be 10 years ago was someone they really aren't proud of being. Mm. Uh, uh, I thought you meant an actual ghost in a USB port. Yeah. Uh, I don't think a USB port ever comes up, although I think at one point a character shoots a computer. <laughs> what about a USB port? And when press is to USB Because it didn't actually do anything, her response was largely that it felt good. And she'd felt massively useless the entire case. Uh, one of my friends wanted to write a script about uh, the, the internet becoming sentient, but with the personality of uh, like a teenage girl from Teen Girl Squad. Uh, I so thought, it, I thought you were going to uh, say like Sof Sophia from the Golden Girls. Oh, uh, <laughs> yes, but as a teenage girl, the, the Golden Girls were not unlike teenage girls. That's um, mm -hmm. uh, true. Of the Golden Girls, where all of the all of the Golden Girls are different AIs who have become sentient. Oh, that's Ooh. great! Yeah. They're, but they're still all horny. You can do it like horny and old, and they live in yeah. Florida. <laughs> style CGI. That's good. I like that. Yeah, take, take notes, Patrick. All right, go ahead and pitch it. Are we ready? Are we ready to get this grotesque hunt on the road? I think we are. <laughs> I'll never make that yes. mistake again. <laughs> I will. Yep. Okay. So there was Goliath, uh, Hudson, Brooklyn, Lexington. Fuck. What was the other gargoyle's name? Um, Goliath, Michael Dorn, Lexington. I, I like one. Um, is I was like, is he having a stroke right now? What's happening, right? <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't the one that was kind of a dog called Bronx? Yeah, there, there uh, was Sophia. Sophia, yeah. And they were all named Rose Blanche. And, and the the villain was like the can't... villain was Jonathan Frakes, and his name was Xanatos. And yeah. it was I was Xanatos Macbeth Desdemona. God, I can't believe I can do this. Um, was... and then Huck was a character, and he was voiced by Brent Spiner. I was confusing uh, Xanatos with uh, Treat Williams's character from The Phantom, Xander Drax. <laughs> They're very... They're Begins and ends with an X. Drax, uh, that was the guy from uh, James Bond. Yeah. Xander exactly. Drax. Yeah, yeah. From uh, A View from a Kill. Yes. Mm -hmm. The View from a Kill, you said. Yeah, it's I don't remember why, but I rewatched The Phantom recently, and I'll tell you this. The actor playing Xander Drax is he appears to be the only character who knows what kind of movie he's in. Street and Williams. Street Williams. Having so much wait, fun. Wait, wait. Like every, we're talking about, everyone else thinks we're talking about the Phantom movie from like the comic strip character of the Phantom. Yeah, with, with Christy yeah, Swanson. I never got to see Everyone else is playing a straight. Came out the same time as Dragon Williams and just got wind. 
you cannot possibly be ridiculous enough. Just be aware that there is literally no way for you to be ridiculous and too ridiculous. So Who just... needs a fourth skull? <laughs> um, anyway. He killed somebody with a spear in the middle of a board meeting. I remember meeting. being really surprised to discover that the Brenda Starr movie had come out so much earlier than The Phantom and the... Yeah, imagine them all being at around the same time. That that one would assume. the what movie? What the Brenda Starr movie. I don't know what that is. Brenda Starr is another one of those like legacy a uh, hundred years. It's about a, it's about a female reporter. Like one of them, okay. one of them Prince Valiants. Oh gotcha. yeah, I think it's uh, Sally Ford. I think it's Brooke Shields, but I don't oh, I remember for sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like Blue Lagoon Sally Worth? No, Sally Worth. No, wait. Mary, Mary Worth. Worth. Sally Ford. Mary, Mary Worth. Worth. Sally, Sally Ford. Ford. Did that get changed at Ellis Island? <laughs> yeah, yeah. they changed it from, from uh, Forth to Worth because Forth was too Jewish. It was changed in the First World War. They didn't want association with the German Forths. Forthenheimer before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Forthenheimer Schmidt. Yeah, Forthenstein. Fourth and Steen. Fourth and Steen. Thank you. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, yeah. I think we were close to starting there. So it's time to watch the movie now, right? Yeah, time to watch the movie. So this is Cinema Excelsior. Uh, we've got our, our Cavalcade of Star roundtable assembled today. Uh, going from digital left to digital right, uh, we have Daniel Watson Jones. That's appropriate because Daniel Watson Jones is playing the role of Googum tonight. Googum, son of Goom, a humanoid alien from Planet X who later tries his hand at screenwriting. <laughs> the part I was born to play. Next to him is Derek Long. God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you... It's Christmas, right? Isn't it, guys? <laughs> yeah, wrong about of that. course. Sure. <laughs> yeah, it's Good Christmas. thing once the sloths looked out on the feast of speed. Well, I mean, it is a Shane Black movie. It's about so, to say, it's a Shane Black yeah. movie. Oh, Shane, Shane Black loves Christmas. Mm -hmm. And the snow lay round about, deep and crisp and even. Uh, Derek is playing the role of... Uh, Thank you, Prime Minister. Of Gorgilla, uh, the monster of Midnight Mountain, half man, half ape, all giant. Uh, Stefan, it's pronounced Gojira. Nope, Gorgilla. Gorgilla! Gorgilla. I thought the woman was playing as a monster, but she was just out of vodka. Uh, Patrick Regan. <laughs> Hi, Digital Land. Patrick Regan is playing the part of Electro with a K. A giant robot who held the world in his iron grip. I did. Brightly Very briefly. the moon that night. Then, then my hand got cramped, so I let go. Mm, one of them crampy bots. And Nick Bester, who plays the... Uh, say hi, Nick. Hi, Nick. Who plays the, the glue that holds us all together. Nick Bester tonight is uh, playing the role of Fin Fang Foom. I knew it. Yes! I knew it. Yes! Oh, my God. And so uh, the, the unifying theme, I'm Stefan Claypool. I'm playing no one uh, because the unifying theme here is these are all the members of the Fin Fang Four. <laughs> and it's not called the Fin Fang Five. 
<laughs> so the, the way that this goes is uh, they were all villains. A lot of them fought Iron Man. Uh, Mr. Fantastic shrunk them all down and reformed them to human size. And then they all kind of got jobs, like Fin Fang Foom became a Chinese chef. Wasn't uh, wasn't Spider-Man briefly in the Fin Fang Foom with his... Uh, uh, with his ring fang foom. That was a thing ring joke. Sorry, it was kind of obscure. No. And also not well structured. No. <laughs> no yeah. I was very confused. That was by far away one of the most confusing jokes I've ever heard. I'm like, I think he's. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, 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 I you to call it a joke. <laughs> uh, our film tonight is Iron Man 3. Uh, spoiler the third of the Iron Man films. Uh, starring and Robert the last. Robert. I was about to say, it's also the last, um, it's one of the last Marvel movies to actually have a number appended to it, because they basically stop after That's this. That's true, they went to yeah. some time oh, yeah. after this. Basi- well, I'll get into this later, but actually, I, I, this is about the point where everyone stops doing that. Like, no one really yeah. does numbers anymore except for the Fast and Furious franchise. Yeah, people looked at all those films throughout mm-hmm. history with numbers after them and were like, Godfather Part 2? <laughs> Should have been called Godfather, subtitle the immigrant years. No, no, no. It should have been called Two God, Two Father. <laughs> two God, Two Father. That's a good point, because even God like Star Wars, Wars they, even Star Wars, they don't mark it as really like Episode 7 anymore. It's nope. The Force Awakens. I wonder yeah. how much of that is the uh, like studio mentality of, well, if we put a number in it, people are going to think they need to have seen something else and won't come in, mm. despite the fact that these are all heavily continuity-dependent films, and you probably should have seen yeah. the thing before you come Well, that's why Maybe that's why Pompeii I, failed yeah, a couple guess... years ago. Everyone thought they needed to see Pompey 1. Pomp 2. Seriously, if I had to, if I had to guess, actually, I, I, would, I would wager it's just because... The they they those numbers just as those numbers start to get increasingly higher, it's just going to start looking increasingly ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So they just yeah they learned that from the land before time. Yeah, they yeah learned exactly. that from Back to the Future Part Two, Jaws Twenty Three. This time it's really really personal. <laughs> you know, just I mean, let me put it this way: how much how many good movies do you associate with like a number three or four next to it? It's mm, a good question. Yeah, Not Kung Fu Panda Three. Movie's amazing. Back to the Future is my second favorite Back to the Future. Mm. Uh, for a few, for a few dollars more. Yeah, that's got a four in it. Yeah. <laughs> um, Eight heads also, in a duffel bag. Yeah. I will also add that I think it's also a bit of a um a comic book thing, just because yeah. you know comic books do kind of a pin these days do kind of a pin like a a an arc title to their to their things. Sixteen candles. Yeah, dude, that series peaked with 11 candles, okay? Please. Seven candles. After seven candles, it just doesn't exist. After seven, yeah, yeah, puberty really ruined the series. Let's not start with 37 Ronin. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I, my uh, favorite was, I'm going to, no, I'm not even going to say that joke. It's too dumb. 83 Dalmatians. Then let's be a, I was going to say, that must be a truly dumb joke to be too dumb for this crowd. Anyway, uh, harky, merry idiots. Let's let's sally forth. Let's marry worth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, yep. Okay. So, yeah, we're talking about Iron Man 3. And uh, this is. Kind of. Kind of, yeah. 
Um, this is Eventually. the first of the uh, MCU films after the Avengers, so it kicks off the Phase Two universe. And I remember when Wait, this after film... Marvel's Avengers or after the Avengers? Well, or was it Avengers Assemble? Yeah, I don't know. We need to go consult Invisible Jones on this. Uh, <laughs> this uh, and, and this kind of related to basketball, Jones. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's one in the same. Go on. One in the same. Um, this Halloween Jones. Osmosis Jones. <laughs> Jones. Halloween Jones is still my favorite thing the Onions ever did. It's right up there with Hamburglar to Congress, Robble Robble. <laughs> Nothing will ever beat the the epic that has been the Onions Biden. Okay, fair that's enough. true. Anyway, uh, Iron Man three. This time, uh, not directed by John Favreau, directed by Shane Black, who was brought in to do the job after. Favreau seemed like he had kind of gotten burned out on Iron Man 2, and Black had been really instrumental in bringing back Robert Downey Jr.'s career uh, with Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Mm-hmm. And this was uh, kind of had the feel of Robert Downey Jr. maybe paying back his uh, his old buddy with a prime primetime directing gig. Um, the film opens uh, with voiceover narration, which is always a good sign. Um... <laughs> In this case, it, it does it does pay off quite beautifully. God, it took forever, though. I remember sitting in the theaters and being physically angry at that voiceover narration. Um, but, also, it happened last night. <laughs> yes. Uh, but we, we begin by flashing back to Bern, Switzerland in 1999. And everyone's dressed in their 1999 gear. John Favreau looks like an extra on Walker, Texas Ranger. He's <laughs> accurate. John Favreau commented that he actually had the most fun in, on this movie, largely because he didn't have to actually also direct. And I also think it's just because he got to dress like that. I think that's his other big secret is that he did it mostly because he wanted to dress like he was on Walker, Texas Ranger. Um, yeah. So as we, I guess, as we launch into this, uh, this endeavor, um, We'll start start with you, Dooge. Uh, what are your opening thoughts on this film? So I saw this in the theater, and then not again until last night. And I I liked it more last night than I did in the theater. Um, and that still wasn't a whole lot. Um, I really liked the comedy in it, but I thought a lot of the I don't know I. I was just kind of, I think at this point, I'm kind of getting burned out on the general Marvel plot um, or like arc of the film. And I I can appreciate some of the sort of more obvious symbols and metaphors in the film. Uh, But um, it's, I don't know, like the last Iron Man film, it, it felt like there weren't any stakes that I cared about. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> Derek Long, uh, your your opening thoughts. Um, I I had similar thoughts to um to Dooge. I mean, I, I saw this in the theaters and watching it last night was the first time I'd seen it since then. And um, I actually felt like I I, I definitely enjoyed it when I saw it in the theaters. I kind I kind of liked some of the um. Some of the, I, I think, frankly, um, impressive variations that they were able to sort of insert into the into the film, like there, it, 
it, it's very much like an attempt not to be a generic Iron Man, a generic Marvel superhero film. But I agree with you, Dude, in in that the the payoff of that um, isn't necessarily as effective as it could be. I think the I think the last act uh, has a has a pretty impressive set piece. I think one one of the one of the best you know. Uh, of any of the Marvel films, but there's a way in which, um, as I was watching it, I found myself kind of bored until we got to that set piece. Um, and I, I think you're you're onto something, dude. In this idea of like the stakes not necessarily being um, as interesting as they could be, and I think part of it, at least for me. Um, is the kind of inexplicable behavior of Tony at points in the film, uh, you know, like giving out his home address. Um, and so there's, there's a way in which my interest wavered away from Tony. Um, and he is, I mean, he's, he's in a lot of the scenes and I was more interested in the stakes um, as it had to do to, as it related to like Ty Simpkins character or to Pepper. Um, or you know, even to a certain extent, um, for Guy Pierce, there's there's a way in which uh, Tony, as the core of this film, felt kind of hollow uh, in an in an odd sort of way, and I was kind of drawn outward from that. Almost like he's become some kind of empty shell or suit. Hello, <laughs> <laughs> you're blowing my mind, man. <laughs> uh, Patrick, uh, your your opening thoughts. I really enjoy this movie. Um, I think that the thing that I enjoy the most about it is that it's I, I enjoy the way it kind of jumps off of the idea of Tony as a PTS as having PTSD, and I think that it, it depicts it fairly in a fairly interesting and kind of um, disturbing way. And I, I think they also this this also movie start is the is one of the earliest instances where Marvel starts getting hit between a rock and a hard place in terms of uh, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this later the depiction of certain parts of their let's call them legacy properties which I'm sure we're going to have to talk about when Doctor Strange when we finally ever we can get to Doctor Strange coming out later this year mm-hmm. um, insofar as <sighs> it was made in the 60s and you can really tell sometimes. And and specifically, I mean that you know there was no way in hell they would have been able to do a comic accurate depiction of the Mandarin. Yeah, you're not casting Chow yeah. Yun Fat in that role this because guy that would have been orange at all. Yeah. yeah, like that would have been to degree the degree that a comic accurate depiction of being a man calling the comic depiction accurate uh, Mandarin racist is like really underselling the part. And I think that in terms of handling that particular problem, I think they threaded that needle very well. Um, but I, I do kind of look at this now, and I, I do see some a few cracks that I kind of don't think I saw before. Um, and and especially learning, knowing no, as I know now about the way the production kind of went, um, how they, you know, a lot of it was kind of like we didn't know, we didn't know if this was going to be Robert Downey's last movie. You know, we didn't know if may he rest they, in peace. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we didn't know, uh, they kind of, I, I know that um, the, a large part of the female villain whose uh, name escapes me at the moment. Maya Hansen, played by Ray Maya Hall. Hansen, thank you, um, was was altered halfway through filming. Um, or at least partway through filming. Uh, she was originally was she, supposed to be... 
She was but supposed to be much more of a big bad. Than I she thought she was going to be the, I thought it would have been better if she had turned out to be the real villain. Like if they'd done a double reverse. Mm -hmm. And in, I, in, yeah. the, in the comic that this particular film was based on the Extremis uh, series, uh, that, that spoiler alert, that was the twist. And oh, I think wow. actually would I think that could they, that would have I think they could have gotten away with that and I think would have kind of enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. um, I think that, but I think and I also think that this is also kind of where um, this is the first of post Avengers movie, right? Mm -hmm. And this is also where like their shared continuity is both starts to work in their favor, but it's also where it starts to become a bit of a hobble for them and and we'll see this going forward um insofar as there are definite like when when thor is dealing with something up on asgard it makes sense that no one else can help him, right it's on asgard right. when he's down on earth there are certain moments that you do kind of actually wonder where the hell everyone else is because yeah. you know at the end of this movie the president gets kidnapped this really yeah. does seem like it should fall under the heading of something S.H.I.E.L.D., Captain America, Hawkeye, and Black Widow should perhaps be, I don't know, interested in somehow. Yeah, they didn't even call in the bad dudes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> There's no cheeseburgers being handed out at the end of this film. <laughs> but, you know, it, and, and that, that is, it does feel a little bit, this is where it starts to feel a little bit, a little bit odd. And, and they kind of solve this problem in, in Winter Soldier, um, by 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 basically blowing everything up, um, but you know you do start of start to have this problem where I, I distinctly remember there's a moment where after the after the the house gets attacked, um, you know Pepper has to go into hiding with Maya, and I remember kind of wondering where where's you know they they get they get they get they get attacked in the hotel and I'm thinking so no private security or did she just not call Shield? I feel like this is something Shield would be involved in. Nope. They might put a few guys at the front of the door, and if someone tried to attack, they would be like, "No, no, thank you. We have lots of big guns. You can go away now." I'm still, uh, still kind of mad that it took me a minute to pick up on your Mandarin orange joke, dude. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, Nick, your your opening thoughts. Well, I'm quite proud that I got it pretty much right away. You're you're on the ball. Uh, Yes. Uh, although there was a moment of going like, is he orange in the comics? And then realizing what he... He's, well, he's blue in that? the comics, as it happens. Uh, he's what? He's blue. Oh. Yeah. Blue? Oh, yeah. okay. Dabba -dee -dabba -dee. Dabba -dee -dabba but yeah, I, I, agree, I agree that certainly sort of the... Uh, the sort of representational logic of somebody like the Mandarin is, you know, obviously deeply problematic and is really something that Marvel's going to have to wrestle with both in Doctor Strange and with Iron Fist as the next Netflix series. Yeah. Uh, and, like, all of the sort of weird Frank Miller ninja orientalism uh, in... Uh, Daredevil. Daredevil, which, at least, I don't know how other people felt about the second season, but I felt like that was easily the weakest part of that season. Yeah. Uh, it, it, yeah. it, it start, started off hot and then cooled down considerably. I, I loved yes. The Punisher. The Punisher was great, but every time... The, the ninja stuff was just, like... Yeah, exactly. The, like the first, the first like third of that season is very strongly just on the Punisher, and it's clearly the best part of that show. Anyway, but uh, yeah, that's certainly um, a a big problem for this, and it seems like a big problem that could easily be solved by not bringing the Mandarin in. Well, I mean, like I, I feel like if you the best parts of the film though. No, I love the way uh, they did the Mandarin. 
Yeah, but it feels like a they're coming up with a solution to a problem that they have forced themselves into. But Why? I mean, to be, to be fair, your, 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 your alternative, because this is Iron Man, your alternative is, one, another guy in a super suit, or two, <laughs> Fin Fang Foom. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously, Fin Fang Foom is much better. Uh, they're going to say that Revenge of the Mandarin is very, is very much like yeah. Iron Man's arch nemesis. Yeah. So I, I mean, think the they fact felt that compelled they have... to use him in some way. I mean, the fact that they have, like, the the fourth uh, Avengers is now untitled. It's no longer Infinity Wars. It could be the Avengers Rise of Fin Fang Foom. There's, there's an entirely the possibility that's what they're planning for. Yeah. Let's just take a moment uh, to the imagine. End of the, first one, the end of the first Infinity War film is Fin Fang Foom rising up from the center of the Earth, and everyone's like, oh my god, oh my god, what do we do? And you hear a voice in the background, it's, don't worry, pan over, smoking a cigar, Howard the Duck, I've got a plan. Cut to <laughs> yes. I, yes. I, I'm going to agree with that, but I'm going to add that Thanos is like writing Fin Fang Foom on a little oh, saddle. Yeah. Just, be, just, a very just because, you know, Josh uh, Brolin has like, been texting the hell out of Thanos, and I just like the idea that Thanos has like a space cowboy hat. Yeah, I just like, want to see like, someone like, try to put the Infinity Gauntlet on either a wing or a dragon's claw. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, the Infinity think... Gauntlet, if you think about it, is only usable if you have a ha human-sized hand. Everyone that's, else can't what if, use it. That's a what if you flaw. can get <laughs> one part of your appendage into the part that lets you, the part of the gauntlet that lets you reshape reality, and so you reshape the Infinity Gauntlet itself? Oh, clever, clever. I assume the Infinity Gauntlet has like. I'm pretty sure this is still my opening. Thought. It is. It is. It is. <laughs> yes, it's got reality gemmed. <laughs> yeah, damn reality bending. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I didn't actually know that, uh, that they had sort of changed Maya, Rebecca Hall's character, uh, like during production. And I mm -hmm. did feel like she gets sort of underserved because as we've talked about before, Marvel movies don't have particularly memorable or good villains. And I find that, you know, Guy Pierce's villain is, you know, perfectly serviceable, but also eminently forgettable. And I feel like, uh, Rebecca Hall... Like, if she had been allowed to either be the big bad or at least sort of second fiddle to uh, Killian, had the potential to be, you know, a much more interesting villain than I'm an evil businessman who is going to destroy this superhero, which has been the, the bad guy of, like, what, eight or nine different Marvel movies? Well, uh, I, she, you know, has, like... Go ahead. Yeah, I would say the other problem is that Killian really does feel a lot like Hammer in a lot yeah. of ways. Yeah. He, he, their motivations are really similar. Yeah, regard. it's just and essentially they essentially mm -hmm. gave a lot to, uh, to uh, Hammer, uh, and that's about it. Um, yeah. So, but I mean, I feel like there's a way either make her the big bad or just sort of she's you know a kind of sympathetic character because you know she clearly is sort of see, seeing sort of like yeah, what's going on here is 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 bad, but if we can get this technology to where it needs to be, the imagine the science. good I can do. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which I think would be an interesting thing. And then the movie, you know, very unceremoniously just dumps her uh, suddenly, and th I think that's really unfortunate. One of the things I really do uh, did enjoy about the movie is sort of the middle, the middle act where Tony doesn't have the suit anymore. Yes, and we sort of get to see we get to see Tony as m sort of MacGyvering around. Yes, and sort of him. Uh, so there's like two or three sort of big fight scenes where Tony has to deal with all these problems, but he is, but he doesn't have the sort of deus ex machina of his uh, suit being able to solve all of his problems. 
So the fights that he has in that Tennessee uh, town or that great infiltration of the Manchurian um, compound. Oh, excuse me. Excuse me. The uh, Mandarin compound. I'm sorry. I confused my uh, outdated terminology. Um, Or that sort of that part of the uh, scene where he's got like one Iron Man gauntlet and one boot and he's sort of trying to jury rig his way around it. I found found that really endearing and sort of really highlighting uh, sort of the ingenuity of Tony, Mm -hmm. which is always obviously a part of his character, but not necessarily something that we really get to see because once he's in the suit, the suit is doing so much of the work for him that we don't necessarily often get the feeling of, oh, look at how clever he is. Yeah. yeah. Two, two things in response to that. Uh, for some reason, I, whenever uh, he's running around doing his MacGyver stuff, uh, mm-hmm. I, I hear the Beverly Hills Cop theme, and I think about that scene from the yep. Clerks animated series yep. when <laughs> Reinhold is, is talking about putting bananas into tailpipes, and they're just like running around <laughs> mischievous. Yeah. And it reminds me. Foley. I can't remember what the name of that song is. A Foley. A Foley? Yeah. And it reminded me that this was the this little like bit of, uh, you know, right after that when uh, Tony and Rhodey are you know coming up on Act Three, and uh, you know neither of them are wearing suits, and th- that was the moment when I really wanted the Marvel universe to break out into different types of different types of films, so that I could mm-hmm. see like a prequel film of Tony and Rhodey when they were young and like becoming friends, just going on a road movie, you know, some yeah. kind of yeah, like a hangover style drunkenness. Comedy. I mean, uh, yeah, <laughs> I would like to know, I would like to know how those two became friends because the, and I think the it's the problem with a lot of Tony's relationships is that mm-hmm. a lot of Tony's relationships don't really make a lot of sense. They, they, so I, the I would only, like to know how you only have one hint how as to, to how they both became friends actually. And that's, they both wear um, brass rats. So they both graduated from MIT. Oh. You're you're paying attention. I'm paying attention to the IMDb trivia page. Uh, Well, that makes sense. I I think one of my other things is... Yeah. I'm sorry. No, you finish, Nick. Oh, I mean, to to go off that in terms of relationships, I think one of my biggest pet peeves, particularly while watching it this time, is that it never really feels like Pepper and as a couple or that they actually are even a couple one of the comments i made in my notes uh on twitter was that it feels like it's still in that sort of will they or won't they witty repartee moonlighting stage because robert downey jr doesn't have any mode other than witty repartee Mm -hmm. and it's just like i it doesn't feel like they're actually in any kind of relationship well pepper doesn't feel like a character (laughs) <laughs> yes, that is that is that is a big part of that. Well, I think also like the this this sort of like you know conflict between them that's introduced you know twenty minutes in is so forced. It's just like I don't, I don't even remember what the conflict is. <laughs> Tony, you yeah, need to stop I mean, building these suits. Right. Yeah. It's basically like, oh, why? You know, this was your night to make dinners. You know, it was something like that. You know, mm-hmm. it, Tony, it, it, just, stop it worrying just about the suits. And, and, and Bert Baker. Uh, spend time with me. Uh, look, I'm going to express all of my feelings very directly that I have PTSD. And, uh, well, Tony, stop building these suits and doing the coping mechanism that you have uh, and pay attention to me. 
Ed Brubaker, the the comic book writer, he he has this great quote that I'm going to paraphrase here, where he because he was trying he was talking about why you see so few like normal healthy relationships because these are all horribly screwed up yeah. people. Well, well, no, he he said I think it's because most of my friends who are comic book writers uh, aren't aren't very good at relationships because uh, he's like he's he's been happily married for years and and his point is like you know most of them are either single are d d frequently divorced and he's kind of and he was kind of making points like you know it's so rare to see a comic book a superhero that actually depicts a a relationship in a way in a healthy way insofar as it sort of like recognizes that as as we all know relationships are still lots of hard work even once you're in them and they have ups and downs and conflicts and difficulties but you know there just seems to be kind of a difficulty within the superhero genre of you know how how do we depict that this relate the this relationship now that they're together as you know being both healthy and connected but still dealing with the fact that you know again relationships have problems they are difficult you know you have to make compromises and make things work and and there was a, there was a way in which the first two films actually represented that work you know mm -hmm. on the part of Tony at the very least right you know as uh, you know, they they often played it for laughs, but uh, but he brings you know, her strawberries, was, even though she's allergic. Right. <laughs> um, but that was that was at least that there were there were beats dedicated to that. Um, and here it's just sort of like Tony's PS, uh, PTSD kind of overrides that. It it becomes less about his relationship with Pepper. And, and more of a kind of lone wolf thing that he has to deal with. And it kind of structures all the MacGyvering that, that he does throughout the film. Um, but it never see it seems like that, you know, the tension between them is resolved too easily or not even really resolved. It just kind of goes away. I mean, I, it doesn't help yeah. that she, even though she gets to have a really great moment at the end where she kicks ass and fights, yeah. she does spend a large portion of the movie as a hostage. And, you know, I, I, I don't know. I'm just kind of, I personally kind of was kind of hoping we were done with uh, kidnapping a love interest as a hostage. Well, because it, they acknowledge we'll it. We'll never be done with it. Overtly. I think he says, you're my trophy. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, I, I think that I one aspects. of the things that this film um, struggles with, and, and like you do, I had not seen this since it was in theaters. The impression that I got watching it this time and having watched all of these other Marvel movies now uh, is, is kind of twofold. One, I feel like, and in doing a little digging, I found out this is true, um, there was a lot of stuff that got cut out of this film. The original cut of this film was about three hours long, and this film came in at about oh two hours. I'd like to see that original cut. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, and two, and m maybe this is because of what the cuts were, or maybe it's because of what the writing was. It feels like I can imagine looking at a lot of this on the page and feeling pretty comfortable with it. And mm -hmm. when you run into things that you're not comfortable with, like, okay, so you say maybe uh, maybe the Pepper Tony stuff's a little weak. That's okay. Robert Downey Jr. and Gwyneth Paltrow will, will mix it up on set. And we'll, we'll get something good out of it. But because mm -hmm. the, the mechanics of Tony's arc are fairly solid. The breakdown of um, kind of that middle portion of the film where you're stripping away the pieces of his Iron Man persona and forcing him to sort of be on his own 
are solid. The relationship between he and Rhodey is entertaining. I don't mm. think that the villain situation is inherently bad, although I have a lot of problems with Guy Pierce's performance as a general statement. Um, yeah, bring back the hair, Guy Pierce. <laughs> yeah. What um, happened to 1999 Guy Pierce hair? <laughs> <laughs> But I feel like it it, it looked it might have looked good on paper and sort of fallen apart in in the execution. Um, and so I, I ended up walking away thinking that this is in the sense that it was kind of an enjoyable film at times. It was fine. I don't I don't feel like it was awful or like I it was wasting time or anything like that. But there there was the shadow of a better film hanging over this i mean black is a an absolutely brilliant screenwriter that's often you know that that is kind of often considered one of his one of his strongest suits um and i think this is also one of the times that we you know because marvel is often accused of having a house style um but you know this is one of the movies where you actually it feels like black black's kind of trying to push his own style with it as well uh see as we pointed out before christmas shane black loves christmas um, Why do you and think that is? I have no idea. I'd love to ask him. Um, there's a but, there's a long quote on his Wikipedia page that explains uh, explains a little bit about it. Oh, but yeah, I, I think I, that. Go ahead. Um, no, I uh, I've actually forgotten what I was going to say. Uh-oh. I was gonna. I mean, I feel like the the Christmas elements kind of it it made a lot of things work for me that I felt otherwise wouldn't have. The narration, the voiceover, made it feel like, at least for a while, that Tony was reading a story to a child. Because hmm. uh, the the way that he pauses and phrases it, or pauses and uh, his cadence, kind of feels like he's reading a picture book and like demonst- You know, he's commenting on the pictures that you're looking at. Uh, right. And the relationship between him and the kid uh, felt heartwarming. Uh, I, I thought the, the that was kind of the the best part of the movie. Uh, mm. The I don't remember the child actor's name, but his performance as well as the writing for him mm-hmm. and the relationship between them. And as Hillary pointed out while we were watching it, the only person that can talk to Tony Stark this way, no matter how much he tells them to shut up or doesn't want to listen to them, is a child who will not stop talking no matter what. Yeah. Uh, and the, uh, I, I thought that that device worked pretty well, um, and it it was only marginally uh, creepy or weird that I I began to suspect that this child actually had no mother and just lived in this barn, <laughs> and it was like some kind of confusion comedy where he was always telling everyone at school that his mom couldn't pick him up or there's a reason she never came to any event, you know. Because uh, he just like there's an offhanded line about her having already gone to the diner, uh, but then when he comes home later in the film, he just goes straight into the barn, uh, and I don't know. It just seemed odd. Yeah. By the way, fun trivia fact, but my favorite my favorite piece of nonsense that's got left at the cutting room floor is that they actually explain why Guy Pierce never wears socks in the movie. Why was that something that needed explaining? Why would I pause? Why would I possibly care or notice that that is a thing? Does he have I did. Why do you guys on? notice hair I, so I, much? I, I did, but as we all know, no, I'm a weirdo. Um, no, the reason he doesn't wear socks is is actually related to the way the costume designer worked for all of the characters who got injected with Extremis. Is that the idea is that their body temperatures run so high 
that they often are all trying to dress so that um, they're not over wearing women's yeah. slacks. Oh, so that's, yes. that's where that's why he's wearing his, his like uh, Panama suit. Yeah. I thought uh, that was one of the things I, I was wondering Jesus. about. The extremist power is kind of like karate chop through uh, Iron Man suits, but apparently their clothes don't burn off. Oh yeah, that was. I mean, I, I was that's nitpicking just super, a that's lot just of things in logic. And the only thing that Hillary 100% agreed with me on was that it was insane that their clothes didn't burn up. I uh, I accept that as superpower logic, just because really that you could talk, you could bring that point up to almost to a lot of people's outfits. I mean, Hulk, they, they did Hulk know pants. that yeah. this was going to happen, and they did have access to this super technology, so mm. it's possible they also had access to some super clothing. Yeah, step one is they develop extremis. Step two is they are extremis in a lab. Summerwear. Yeah, yeah, building extremis <laughs> summerwear, like, bare-ass naked while they're building this, doing a science, and they're having to be constantly sprayed down with sanitizer so that they're not... Uh, contaminating the science area and they're like oh I can't wait to get these pants on and then they try a pair of pants on and the pants explode and then they're like oh back to the drawing board wait wait can we track extremists down by whoever everyone who dresses in asbestos exactly um, uh, was anyone else bothered by the fact that uh, this already presumably very run down town in, in rural Tennessee was just utterly devastated no, by no. this major fight. There's, there's, happens there's, in no, all there's the no destruction or uh, or civilian casualties in Marvel films. Those only happen in, uh, in DC films. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I definitely thought about this. It was like, hasn't this town suffered enough? There's Seriously. already been like explosion that everyone thinks was a terrorist attack. Or no, no one thinks it was a terrorist attack. It was, all, it was like a suicide bombing. Uh, but... And, and now Tony's attack. destroying the, he's destroying this uh, diner and the water tower is falling down and explosions. It's just awful. Everything's fine. There's a great Four Marvel comic called Damage Control that's about the Shield agency whose sole job it is to clean up after all this crap. <laughs> yes. Uh, wasn't there a, a movie like Sunshine Cleaners about the the people who are called in to clean up crime scenes? Yeah, yeah. with uh, with Jean Reno. Yeah. Was he really in that? No, no, he was Victor the Cleaner okay. in uh, La Femme Nikita. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> and he was the cleaner. Well, a, there is such a cleaner. He's also sometimes called the cleaner and the professional. Mm. Yeah, he's the wolf. Yes, he was. Yeah. He's the wolf of Wall Street. Speaking of terrorist attacks, should we talk about Ben Kingsley as Trevor Slattery? Oh, I love Ben Kingsley. Oh, he's so good in this. I love him in this so much. Amazing. <laughs> I... I, I there's no other. I feel like there's no other actor that that you could feel such sort of contempt and loathing for at the beginning of a scene, and then be totally on his side by the, by the end of the scene when he's just well, he, lying to the person who's holding him, uh, holding him captive. He shows such a like, great accent. Yeah, he does such a great job of kind of like you know, sense. you know, because like the the trailer and the further movie, it's like he really does come off as terrifying. Like he's legitimately very scary. And then the yeah. total 180 degree flip. I yeah. I remember thinking that this is basically the only way they could have done the Mandarin without it mm -hmm. is, is to handle basically to be like, no, it is all made up. This he this that's why you cast someone like Ben Kingsley is to basically the point is, you know, he is kind of ethnically vague and he does have all this random sort of assortment of like um, appropriated points on him because he, he's he's a constructed figure. He's literally 
He's literally designed in like some sort of marketing lab to basically be the most scary looking dude ever. I really mm -hmm. wish that, or I really hope that some of the scenes that were cut, and I'm sure that they weren't, were like the meeting where they're designing the Mandarin. And it's like, no, I think he, he's got to have a cape. He's got no bad guys have capes. <laughs> and so like, many I rings. remember, I remember the pilot, the, when, not the pilot, the, the trailer. There's a cut scene where he throws off of his throws off his hood, and you can see that he's got like a Captain America shield tattooed on his neck and everyone was like yeah, yeah. trying to figure out how do i read into that what does it mean and i'm like that's actually almost sort of weird bit of meta narrative of that like everyone in the world is trying to read into what the mandarin means and the point is and and there isn't anything there is literally no there there i'm pretty sure that killing was just like and eh, just put a captain america tattoo on his neck what does it mean uh, King, King's maybe, that was, a... maybe that was trevor's uh tattoo maybe that's what i had assumed when you began describing that that it was just like the uh, the Tony Stark tattoo that the random engineer guy had. I feel like what Ben Kingsley does so well is you know the the threatening part of the character feels in his wheelhouse. Uh, but I did not expect Ben Kingsley to do comedy well because when you think about the iconic Ben Kingsley roles, you know uh, he's not not doing a lot of pratfalls, not doing a lot of Gotta fart be. jokes. What are you talking about? Sexy Beast is hilarious. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> no, he's hilarious in this movie. I mean, he he really. Yeah, no, he is. This, this movie does not go with anybody but Ben Kingsley in that role, pretty much. I don't know. I think Norm Macdonald could have pulled it off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> or Bobcat. That would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the Mandarin. I'm the Mandarin. There's only one lesson left. The thing about, Ch the thing about fortune cookies is they're not actually Chinese. <laughs> we are strong. I scared the Mandarin. Based on a recipe by the Japanese. <laughs> I I think also the other thing I would like to talk about is um I is Rhodey in them in this movie because Rhodey's had a bit of a had a bit of an awkward journey up until this into this point yeah, because when you're, you're we got really skipping yeah, last time yeah you're skipping yeah. actors hopping actors midstream well I mean I, th I think this movie really actually does nail why Don Cheadle is so is really well suited to be Rhodey um, mm -hmm. because he he has some really great moments. In this, that I, I, I that I kind of think really just sort of nailed the idea of how Rhodey should not be subservient. Like Don is very clearly playing Rhodey as not. <laughs> Rhodey does not think he's Iron Man's sidekick. Like Rhodey is mostly irritated by Tony at all times, mm -hmm. and you know he 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 is not the way Don Cheadle plays Rhodey is that this is not a man who like lets himself be bullied by Tony all that much this is someone who actually stands up to him which I to kind of get back at something you were saying Nick I think that's actually why Tony likes him is that he Tony Rhodey does not at least as Don Cheadle plays oh him. yeah no I, I I understand why they're friends now but it's like the how did these two people get together in the first place is mainly I what I was asking yeah. about and yeah. and the MIT connection which I obviously would not have noticed uh, does does make a lot of sense in that regard. Like yeah. I can understand, I can understand the relationship in the present day, but mm. I it's a little unclear how you get there. Well, I think that that um, th this entire point about Rhodey is, uh, I'm going to say, a testament to Shane Black, who has proven time and again that he knows how to write uh, buddy action movies. Yes, yeah. and and he narrows in on I think the dynamic between. Like, I, I don't necessarily think this is the the best that Tony has ever been portrayed, uh, but he narrows in on what is important about Tony relative to Rhodey and vice versa, and the two of them yeah. play off of each other in scenes very well. 
as opposed to you know that that dynamic which he entirely misses with uh, Tony and Pepper. But oh well. No, yeah, He's not Tony- the first person. There were two previous films where they missed it completely. Fair enough. T- Tony and Rhodey, like it, it really does sort of like this is a movie where you're like, this is why they are best friends. This is literally why Tony is is always keeping Rhodey around. Like, yes, Rhodey, Ro- Ro- and, and this I- very much. And I mean, I, and, and Rhodey also gets to have uh, sort of that sort of MacGyvery uh, aspect of, of like we get you out of the suit for you know most of the most of the climax, which Although, I think also helps it quite a me, bit. It bothered me a lot that when he came out of the suit, he was wearing jeans and a golf shirt. That was weird. <laughs> it, it looked like he was going to his suburban office park. That that was weird, considering that he's an air, he, he's like an Air Force. He's like an Air Force major, and I'm like, shouldn't he have, like, utilities on, at least? Yeah. It's an interesting <laughs> choice, Don. <laughs> um, I mean, it... it what was I going to say? It's, yeah, no, I, I do appreciate they got him out of the suit, too, because it was sort of a... I, you know, we we've touched we touched on this briefly when we were talking about the Fantastic Four, but I've always kind of liked the idea that Rhodey... Rhodey is not an idiot. Like, Rhodey is actually really, really, really smart. It's just that Tony's one of the smartest guys in the room all the time and it's similar to how i liked how in one of the few moments i really liked in rise of the silver surfer is they for they remember that ben Grimm is also really 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 smart you know you don't get to be you generally don't get to be that high in the air force as a test pilot if you're not you, pretty damn smart you, you lose points for saying good things about rise of the you silver can't just charge your banks your way into it uh. <laughs> <laughs> um I, I want to talk since since we talked about uh, about Ben Kingsley's performance. I do want to talk uh, for a minute about Guy Pierce's performance, uh, and and I want to do this because I have a bone. To pick. I have a, yeah, I have a bone to pick with Guy Pierce. Um, <laughs> His perfect cheekbones. You Guy, mean? you owe me like seven hundred thousand dollars. No, um, <laughs> no, Guy Pierce. I feel like. In the first decade of Guy Pierce's career, he gave some really interesting, subtle performances. Like he was great in L.A. Confidential, and he was great in Memento, and Priscilla Queen of the Desert, and like he he was dark too. He was he was doing great stuff. And then there was a point where like a switch flipped in his head, and he said, "You know what my favorite food is? Scenery." And I'm going to eat nothing but scenery for the next decade. We call it the Al Pacino. Yeah, it was the, the Pacino effect. Uh, and the the two, like, this is one of the films that turned me on Guy Pierce because there is no subtlety in what he is doing from the moment he stumbles into frame in that incredible wig. I'm going to stop um, you right here because if you say anything about the movie Lockout. No, that's not what I was going to say. Oh, okay. is that what that was, movie was called? Lockout? Uh, Lockdown? Yeah. Lockout? Lockdown. Yeah. Prison in Space. Yeah. And it's, Lockout. I've never seen a film or like read a script that consisted entirely of one-liners before. And that movie is a masterpiece. The other one that bothered me um, was Prometheus where he's playing like a hundred-year-old man. Because one, that is there's odd. no, yeah. there's, no reason, strange uh, there's no reason you know what to I th- play this character. You know what I think it is? Um, it, it, like, uh, I think fundamentally Guy Pierce is actually a theater actor. Like he um, he like took a break between like 2002 and 2009 that's or about, something. That's about when it started going downhill. 
Yeah, and and like return, and most of his career was on the stage during that period. So that could explain some of the some of the scenery chewing. It's I mean, I, I also think that- did he work with Bobcat Goldthwait a lot during this period? <laughs> I think uh, uh, Lillian was... would be able to talk. Sorry, you finish. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, no, I mean he was in like the stage version of the King's Speech, and um, he was in the film version of the so, King's Speech yeah. too. Yes, he was. Uh, Wasn't over, the overacting is that awful, Man. brother? <laughs> I, I think. I think that one thing that um, one of the other because uh, you know lately Marvel's been able to kind of acquire some really prestigious sort of you know actors, you know, um, and and one and I think at one point somebody I cannot for the life of me remember who it was. It might have been Patrick Stewart actually um, commented that there there's a certain skill set to you know, appropriately portraying this kind of larger-than-life comic book villain that is like kind of like... it's Yeah, it's a, it's a way of chewing, chewing the scenery in a way that doesn't look like you're chewing the scenery. Um, yeah. And like, and to be... And, and as an example, Ben Kingsley is really good at this. In like, in the yeah. first... When, when he's still being intimidating, it's like he's... Because he's definitely chewing the scenery in that, but he's, he's got a way of doing it that doesn't feel like it's really obvious. And I think there's a certain, like, and we'll see this later when we look at, um, you know, you got, because in Winter Soldier, uh, Robert Redford's character is not a scenery chewer. And and Redford, and that's that's something that Redford can kind of, you know, Redford's okay with that. But, you know, and we'll talk about Age of Ultron. I'm pretty sure that's going to be a fun conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing I do really enjoy about Age of Ultron is I do actually think that, um, I am blanking on the actor's name. Someone please help me. James Spader, James Spader, thank you. James Spader knows how to choose scenery in a way that is still really arresting, you know? And, and there, there, oh, yeah. is, there, there is, like, as weird as it is, there is an art to chewing scenery. Um, we call and, it the spider way, method. <laughs> yeah, spider is great at chewing scenery. Um, actually, if you want to talk about another one, uh, Anthony Hopkins is maybe the mm. king of, of chewing scenery. Um, in a way that doesn't feel obnoxious. Mm, I don't yeah. know. Did you see Hannibal? Uh, I try to block that one out. By the way, fun, if you think about it, uh, now um, all three Hannibal Lecters are have been in Marvel movies. That's true. What about uh, what about that no-name kid that only appeared in Hannibal Rising and had no career afterwards? Wait a minute. Who are the? Wait, I can only think of three Brian Hannibal Cox. actors. Who's the other? Brian Cox? Brian Cox. Yeah. He was Striker. Um, uh, yeah. Anthony Hopkins, most famously, he is Odin, and Mads Mikkelsen is going to be in Doctor Strange. He's the villain in Doctor Strange. Yeah. Who? Uh, did you who say? But did you say four Hannibal actors? I or did you three. say all? Just all Hannibal. Actors? He's ignoring okay. that dopey kid from Hannibal Rising. Who? Well, was, let's who find out when uh, Hannibal crossing the Alps. Russell Crowe. <laughs> uh, but was, the entire time we were talking about this chewing the scenery, I just kept thinking about Kevin Spacey in uh, Superman Returns, where he absolutely is not uh, sort of getting the right balance of, of scenery chewing no. and is very distracting throughout that movie because of it. There, there well, are a couple of how scenes How would you play where... Gene Hackman? Yeah. There, there are... <laughs> that is true. That fair is enough. true. He's fair enough. trying to play Gene Hackman's uh, Lex Luthor. <laughs> the hard fucking thing to handle. Yeah, yeah. Even Gene Hackman didn't handle it very well. All right, Gaspar Uliel is the uh, is the uh, Hannibal Rising Hannibal. Let's find out if he's in anything Marvel related. Yeah. I don't know. He probably provided a voice in like Avengers Assembled or something. 
Yeah, I feel like. I mean, and I think uh, I, I will. I think he played the Pierce. jeweler in Fantastic Four. Oh. I, I well, he, Guy was, he was in Rise of the Guardians, which is not Guardians of the Galaxy, no. but kind of close. Is that yeah. about the Owls of Gaul? <laughs> yes, it is. No, so it's about the, the uh, Halloween or the, the holiday people. It's like if Nightmare Before Christmas was about uh, superheroes. Oh, yes. Please tell me if Back I got that Snyder's word. Snyder's the Owls of Gaul. Sure. <laughs> I, I was going to say, back to Guy Pierce, though. I, I In his defense, <laughs> I do feel like he... You know, we and we touched on this. Like his his character's motivation, it's not quite and like his he sort of had like he does sort of feel like Justin Hammer's character, but what, whereas in Justin Hammer had like a lifetime of living in Tony's shadow, which I think which is kind of what makes him interesting to me. Um, and I'm and I'm glad that he at least they start mentioning him again in Luke Cage. Um, but you know, Justin Hammer had a lifetime of living in Tony's shadow, and. You know, you've got uh, Aldrich Killian has sort of this one moment of 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 rebuke, and it's kind of hard to build off of that into, you know, a character who's going to go who's going to the lengths to which he is going. Um, yeah, and and I will also I, I also blew him off. But yeah, I don't like, think that's why he is doing the things that he's. Why do, do you think say. he is? Because I'm. Is this something that's still kind of? I can't I mean, quite wrap my head around. I feel like. Well, do you mean why is he doing these things to Tony, or why is he doing the completely separate things to try and like become this world power? I mean, I a little like, bit of both, and I and I, and I will add, I I do I I've also commented that part of the problem here is also that I think this this was immediately followed by Winter Soldier, um, um, which kind of introduces this weird idea that. What was Hydra doing this entire time? Did they just sort of look at this whole massive conspiracy and go, yeah, "Good job, Gus"? Yeah, it's like, do we want to let this one slide or go? Or were they funding AIM? Or like, what what were they doing? Were they just sort of okay with AIM doing this? Who knows? Um, Honestly, you, you get a lot of questions once you actually start thinking about how uh, Hydra works prior I mean, to, uh, to... To be fair, Winter Soldier. The, there, this is sort of the point where I generally sort of just accept that. The, the idea that it's all connected doesn't always completely hang, hang together. Like, no. it, it's not, you know, it, they all nominally appear in the same world, but, like, you you know, it, it's the same for comic books, super, super comic books. Like, you really can't think about it too much, because if you do, you know, you do start to realize, how is it that Logan is on five different superhero teams? When does the man sleep? He doesn't. <laughs> He's got that healing factor. Although it doesn't necessarily bode well for the MCU that you have reached this point at the first movie after the big crossover. <laughs> that they can't even I, get one movie past the Avengers where continuity I, still makes sense. My, my argument, would, though, would that be that that was an inevitability? I don't think it's possible oh, to yeah, hang no, things together that closely. I mean, just because at a certain point, you know, you have to do with the realities of filmmaking, which means that you can't have everybody always constantly making sure that every piece of continuity perfectly matches up. Do you think Endgame. that Hydra knows literally everything that's happening on the Earth? That this couldn't be completely independent of them? Oh, no, I do think it was completely independent of them. I'm just sort of curious as to if they were taking any action whilst the president got kidnapped, or if they were just... Well, I mean, that also bore begs into question, where the hell was S.H.I.E.L.D. The president, when the president got kidnapped? That seems like something they should be dealing with. They were left uh, on the cutting room floor. Yeah. Uh, and like... And like... I and would, and part, 
you know, it probably has to come to the fact that like they just don't want to have to like freaking hire Colby Spol- Smolders or Samuel L. Jackson for this movie, but mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Also, is this the first MC like this is the first MCU movie in quite a while that has absolutely no shield, right? I mean, because we've been having this is the first MCU movie that in the well, the whole movie is about Tony taking off his shields. Waka waka waka. This is yeah. the this is I mean, unless you count the first Captain America, which I mean, there's justifiable reasons. I think is the first Marvel movie with no shield. Period, or first MCU movie with no shield. Period. Yeah, I don't think there is any yeah. shield in this. Uh, and like I get it from a storyline perspective, no, no, no. it's because you're tr- you're trying to cut Tony, you know, it, it, you cutting Tony off from his support structure is what that makes that middle section interesting. So, but and, there, there's when I was watching this and thinking yeah, about but, that, yeah. I, th- I thought about because um, this came out in 2013. In 2012, The Dark Knight Rises came out, and yes. one of the the things that was sort of central to that film story was gradually cutting off Bruce Wayne from access to everything he had. Uh, mm-hmm. And kind of following that same arc of okay, who are you once you strip away the, you know the the symbols and the the power and the iconography and everything. Sure. And I I feel like this film was doing that thematically, but how stripped down was Tony really? Like at the end of the film, he he goes back to his house, he has his cars, he has all his armor, he has a shitload of armor. That okay. So why as soon as once Tony gets any kind of contact back with the world, which happens before he goes to confront the Mandarin, why doesn't he call any of these suits of armor that he has back at his house in his underground vault to him? Yeah, or or for well, that matter, why doesn't he call question. why doesn't he call Steve? Like his initial reasoning yeah. is I want to keep people safe, but Steve is a super soldier with an indestructible shield. He's pretty good at keeping himself safe at, from people at, like extremists. At any given point in time, and I, I didn't even really think about this until I was saying it, he could have called any of 41 suits of armor to him well, from no, across the country. He can't because Jarvis is rebooting. Don't they write that in? Don't they shoot uh, one yeah, in there? Yeah, that Jarvis that is, is not functioning. He, he literally has nothing. But uh, he doesn't have his cars at the end of the film because they all fell in the ocean. He's got and that one car that but, he's driving the, the robot away with. Yeah. Uh, doesn't he steal a car on the street outside of the bar? Uh, yeah. Uh, but does steal a car in Tennessee. So not only does he destroy yeah. that town, he also steals a car. Yes. Um, what I want to know, and this, this, it, it was kind of a joke nitpick at the time, but the more that I think about it, the more it seems completely absurd. What, after he reveals to the world his home address and invites all of the people in the world to challenge him, what were those people thinking flying to his home in helicopters with missiles? Did they know that he was having a personal personal PTSD crisis and would not be wearing the suit at that time? How did they expect anything other than to be blown up a mile from shore by him in the Iron it's, Man suit? I mean, I, I, I presume that, like, Killian didn't give a shit. It's more like, how did he convince the people in the helicopters to do it? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, these people, they, they well, just emerged from nowhere to are we no, are we him. Don't, do don't, we don't worry, Tony, Tony's not even home. You're just going to blow yes. up the house. It's fine. Do we, also, do we know for a fact that there were people in those helicopters, or could they have been remotely Oh, yeah, we operated? see people in those helicopters. Yeah, we see, James, we see James Badgedale in that helicopter. Yeah, it's, it's, aim, it's aim coming for him. But the thing that I find weird about that is that clearly the idea is that they found him because he made this challenge do we really think that aim can't figure out where fucking tony stark lives Matter of fact, we he's know. one of the most famous men in the world i'm pretty sure i can figure out where uh you know 
Yeah. What's the guy? I pick a celebrity to threaten. He doesn't Nick. even have a secret identity. Yeah, you could you could I, find I, out I where presume, he, yeah. I actually presume that it wasn't necessarily about that they needed his address so much as just they they he challenged them on TV and you know Aldrich Killian is all about creating the image and Whoa. the image would retaliate. Yeah. And and like vampires, mandarins can't come into your home until you invite them in. So once that yes. invitation was issued, they're like, okay, now we can. Now we can blow well, this this does kind of cut back to what we were talking about earlier. Why do we think Killian is doing what he's doing? I mean, because he wants world power, right? And he doesn't. The only technology, like it, it bothers me when uh when Tony. Uh, it's on a soapbox to to tell uh, what's her face, Rebecca Hall's character, uh, that you know at the end of the day I like do good things with my technology, and he has hundreds of patents, thousands of technologies to work with. He has an established empire that he can direct to good uses. They have this one breakthrough that they can use or not use, and. Yeah, they're, they're and a breakthrough that's very volatile. Yeah, and it, it's it's easy for him to make that decision, uh, but their choice is, you know, they, they don't have an infinite number of world-changing technologies. Uh, Guy Pierce's character has, you know, this thing that he can use to gain power or not, and I feel like he just wants power, you know? He wants to be successful. But I think what, what, what he's got. What it comes back to, though, is, I mean, at, at the end of the story, like, how much do we even know about Killian? We know he was a dorky guy that mm-hmm. was left on a rooftop. which And is, used to hit on Pepper. Used to hit on Pepper. And then we know that... Who wouldn't? That he extremist himself up. Mm-hmm. And apparently he had a dad that he thinks is kind of an idiot because he said, like, meaningless aphorisms now and then. Mm-hmm. That's all we know about him. Um... It would have been very, nice to get. He's a, a Marvel movie villain. He's very poorly sketched out. Yeah, he, he is. Well, isn't it important that, like, sorry, not important, but important thematically, that Tony has been directly or indirectly responsible for creating all of his villains when he was still yeah, a but, dirtbag. Yeah, but this is the flimsiest of his creations. It's like ah, I, I tricked you into a rooftop uh, meeting and yeah. didn't show up. But, you had to stand out for, for twenty minutes. Yeah, he was at yeah. he was at a big conference. Well, it wasn't twenty was minutes. Was all and one guy and one guy wanted some time with him, and Tony forgot and didn't go meet well, him. He didn't forget, he deliberately, he, he, he he was, deliberately he lied to him yeah. to dismiss him. Still, I don't think it was in. Well, he he didn't accidentally not go up on the roof to meet random elevator dude. I mean, uh, I. I I always wish they had done a little bit more with Justin Hammer, and not just because I love Sam Rockwell, although as you know, a, a man, as, as a human being with functioning uh, blood cells, I, I of course love Sam Rockwell. Um, but I do think that Justin Hammer at least could have fulfilled there's a, there's a couple no, of slots I feel like Justin Hammer could have filled in a little bit better. He he could have filled in the slot of being the fucking villain in this film. That's all. Yeah, I, I mean. Like, yeah, you could easily, down. you could easily, you could easily just bring him back and have him have. He's hooked up with Maya, uh, si- uh in the time since then, and he's back for revenge. And then we see him well dancing his way into our hearts again. I gotta say, yes, I think absolutely. for the first like ten times that you guys mentioned Hammer, I did not remember who you were talking about. I forgot <laughs> that his character existed in Iron Man Two at all. The only villain I remembered was uh, Mickey Rourke. Was Mickey Fun Ray. fact. My boy. Mickey Rourke and his bird. 
Yes. My board. Yeah. Fun, fun fact. Uh, Hammer, Sam, not as Sam Rockwell, but Hammer Industries actually shows up again in Luke Cage. Oh, I'll bring back Sam. Uh, yeah. Yeah. If we can go back to uh, the whole blowing the up. MC of house. Hammer Industries? Yeah, MC. Yeah. <laughs> you can't touch him. Uh, going, back, going back to uh, that, I will say that that scene has probably the most convenient of plot convenient news coverage happening. Because, like, Rebecca Hall's character, Maya, like, points to the cable news that has live footage of the Brit hits his house. And it's yes. just like, wow, that, that, that cable news was really on top of things today. That's <laughs> I feel like amazing. That's, that's something that this movie does really well, which is wink at a lot of its, uh, a lot of the sort of cinematic tropes that are, are usually just you know, glossed over, uh, but without overtly winking at them, except, well, even even when uh, Guy Pierce uses the word trophy later, mm-hmm. or maybe it's Gwyneth Paltrow's character who says it, uh, but, you know, they're, they're doing a lot of the classic superhero cliches, but either with a little bit of a twist, a la the Mandarin, or by acknowledging them uh, and just saying, you know, we don't care. We're going to do it. It's what you want. We're going to yeah. do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that kid was real funny. Yeah. Oh, that, that little jokester. We'll never see him Ty again. Doesn't he have a three-picture deal with Marvel yeah. or something? Is he in it? Did, did, Has he been in any others? No, he... That's with Marvel as, like, is signed on for several yeah. movies if they ask. Does he even get a name? I think he does. What's his name? Like his name Harley? Harley? Yeah, Harley Keener. That is not a name that means anything. No. It really did name. What's that? Did, did he freeze up for anyone else? Yeah, he a little bit, yeah. yeah. Okay. Did it? Nick, uh, you're, you completely froze up. I don't think anyone heard anything you said. I don't think I was saying anything. Oh, okay. Well, then we all heard exactly what you said. Um, yeah. it, it's always bothered me, but for some reason this time I realized how much it bothered me that uh, John Favreau's character's name is Happy. Happy Hogan! <laughs> Happy Hogan. Is he, my, I assume my, he's a real Marvel character? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He's, uh... Um, one of my favorite, my favorite, my favorite moment uh, in the movie actually involves Happy, and it's when he assumes that the plant blew up because of Y two K. Yep. I don't think he assumes (laughs) that the plant blew up. I think he assumes that because of Y two K, there was an explosion. All right, that 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 might that's a more generous read on it, but it's it. He I like your interpretation more. Uh, The plants are turning. Blows up, and he immediately thinks it's Y two K. It is Y2K right then. It's New Year's oh. Eve 1999. Right, right with symbolism, that one. Yeah. So we go from Christmas, we go from New Year's to Christmas. Yes. Mm-hmm. With the snow coming down. Yeah. Deep and yeah. crisp and even. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Here we go, a wassailing, etc., etc. Uh, Nothing is stupid song about. 
I, I just want to say this. Uh, as we've been talking, I've been occasionally glancing at the uh, Wikipedia plot summary for uh, Legend of the Guardians, the House of Gahul. <laughs> <laughs> of course you have. And uh, I'm just... Uh, I, I'm, uh, I'm a little Zach curious. Snyder's House of the Guardians. Yeah. Uh, they are attacked by a Tasmanian devil, but are saved and then kidnapped by two owls named Jet and Jut. <laughs> Sounds like solid gold. <laughs> Is this movie Australian? Oi. Uh, yeah, American Australian 3D computer animated fantasy. How did I guess that? <laughs> the funny thing is, it was not the Tasmanian Devil that clued me in. It was the names of the owls that, for some reason, sounded Australian to me. Yeah, the, these are the names of the character. These are na- the names of the characters: Soren, Gilfie, Clud, Digger, Twilight, Nira, Azilarib, Metalbeak. Noctus Grimble, Eglatine, and Mrs. Plithover. That's the George Miller film. <laughs> George Miller's The Owls of Gahul. Yeah, do not become addicted to owls or you will resent their absence. <laughs> uh, trying to think uh, what else the owls of Gahul are not what they seem. Uh, uh, we... Uh, we haven't we haven't talked about uh, uh, some some great character actors, uh, William Sattler and Miguel oh, yes. Ferrer, yep. as yep. the president and vice president, respectively. William yes. Sattler, who has continued to play that same president Speaking on Agents owls, of Shield, they are not what they seem. <laughs> Agents of Shield and Captain America. Yep. And Miguel Ferrer, who is never seen again in the MCU, unfortunately. <laughs> He's yes. in the Black Lodge now. Yeah. Yes. He's hang- yes. hanging out with Ray Wise in the uh, the Hall of quickly disappearing mcu guest stars <laughs> I, I think i think a really great moment was missed by not making roadie vice president oh that would have been <laughs> well, great can, actually can we talk for a little bit about the fact that they had um that he's iron patriot in this movie instead of war machine we can war machine go ahead and talk about that well because originally iron patriot is 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 so norman osborne, norman osborne the green goblin gets put in charge of a uh, shield essentially um, for reasons that I still don't 100% understand. And so he makes himself, he steals some Iron Man armor, paints it up a bit, and it becomes Iron Patriot. And, like, I get the theory, the sort of the thematic reason why he's Iron Patriot, although pretty much every movie after this, he's War Machine again. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the, honestly, one of Rhodey's best moments is when he admits that his past was his War Machine rocks. Um, I, I, I will say it does kind of feel like they were doing this bit to it, it feels like a bit of a She-Hulk moment where Marvel was like we should we need to put Iron Patriot in so that Spider-Man can't Sony as Spider-Man can't claim him later on maybe yeah yeah that's, that's entirely possible I don't know uh, I feel like that would have been very hard for them to pull off uh, without having any access to uh, Tony iron, Stark iron but, personages but yes no. yeah iron. yeah <laughs> iron folk. <laughs> the iron folk. Well, the current there are two currently in the comics. Doctor Doom is an Iron Man. Iron folk is my favorite folk-oriented metal band. I definitely want to see. She'll be coming around the mountain when she comes. <laughs> We've gotten punchy. Sorry. I want to see uh, iron personages. As a uh, an alternate MCU style film done as a mockumentary 
about the various Iron Man suits and the people who use them. Iron Men and the men who make them. <laughs> and the personages who wear them. The, yeah, the Iron Man inside me. <laughs> <laughs> There's an Iron Man inside me. There's an Iron Man inside us all. Yep. Yeah. To, to my pseudo-girlfriend, Pepper. I couldn't have done it without him. I mean, I, I will also say, you know, just since we're talking about this, um, this is also a movie where I, I really do like the Tony's arc, but it's also, I think Tony, above all the other characters, sometimes has a bit of a problem with, uh, let's call it his jerk reset button, constantly getting flipped. Yep. And it's very rarely more apparent than in the switch from Iron Man 3 to the second Avengers movie, which I'm sure we'll talk about when we get to Ultron. Um, but, you know, St Steve's kind of inherent decency, Thor's kind of inher inherent sort of no worthy noble nobility. Like I was going to say buffoonness, but go ahead. Buffoonness, that works too. I cannot wait like, for Ragnarok, which is not a thing I ever thought I would say. <laughs> you know, right, but you know, but the fact the fact that the third Thor movie is the MCU movie on the horizon I'm most looking forward to it, it, it looks really promising. Yeah, no, but you know this this is you know this is a great sort of personal Iron Man movie, but it it does sort of like I do sometimes sort of wonder, you know, does 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 Tony Stark. Is Tony Stark, is this a bar where Tony Stark starts to cast like a really large shadow over everybody? You know, because he's he's in he's in, he's in Civil War. He's a major part of Civil War. Yeah. Most of Age of Ultron happened because of his fault. Um, he casts a shadow over Ant-Man. Because mm -hmm. um, a big... casts a shadow over Ant-Man. He's the size of an ant. I see what you did there. He's going to be in the new Spider-Man movie. Yep. Um, you know, he, he, there is there this point that Tony... Tony is really starting to cast a massive shadow over the MCU. And there, there is a part of me that wonders, um, is there a point, do we, do we, do we have, do we, is, do we reach a point where, you know, he, he starts to cast too much of a shadow? Special guest star, Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think also to go back to that Did point, you you Robert Downey Juju. Yeah, that's what I said. Robert Downey Juju. Do you do you want Juju bees or Juju fruits? The kids could call you. Call you Roju. Dang it, Roju. <laughs> to go back to that. Yeah, point, yeah, Roto Juju. Yeah. Roto Juju. Roto Juju. Don't make me say say that. Thing. What? Um. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, to go back to uh, that sort of jerk reset button, I mean, I think one of the other problems for Tony is that every everything that stars him, and that's almost everything in the MCU these days, uh, seems to be sort of about his his experience of starting out as a jerk and being less of a jerk at the end of the movie. But by the next uh, movie, he's a jerk again. But by the end of the but by the end of the by the next movie, he's either as much of a jerk, sometimes even more of a jerk than he was at the beginning of this last mm. movie, uh, and. Yeah, I feel like I feel like that's kind of frustrating as a as a character trait. I think that's fair. Yeah, I mean, I I get pretty frustrated when he stops being uh, a hilarious jerk too. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, we'll, we'll we'll see what happens with Doctor Strange when another actor who's played Sherlock Holmes tries to take on the uh, too arrogant for his own good jerk role. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I genuinely want their I want them to find a reason to cast Johnny Lee Miller in the MCU in in yes. next Infinity War and have the three of them just happen to be standing around a room for and then have like Martin Freeman's character no, wander in no, and then you're, just you're comment just say no shit Sherlock and then have them all react. Yeah, I know, and I don't care. I I don't know. I have mm. I'd like to pretend I don't Robert Downey Jr. didn't play Sherlock Holmes. I would like to pretend that. Um, okay, so I'm, I'm going through the notes here uh, and kind of realizing there might not be a lot of meat on this bone. Yeah, I, mean, I can't think of much else I wanted to cover. Let me check my notes. Most of my notes is just recounting things that William Sadler was in. <laughs> I, I think like, the only thing I would like there's I a good wonder. 20 tweets here that are just President Jay's dad from Wonderful President, President the Grim Reaper from Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey Thank you, President Head of Section 31 from Deep Space Nine oh, uh, right. pres, uh, President apparently he was in Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight President I mean, he was he one of the bad guys? It's been a long time since I've seen Die Hard Two. Yeah, he Hashtag was. He was, he, was, he, was right. the, he was the naked yoga guy in Die Hard Two, or the naked karate guy. <laughs> it's apparently been a much longer time than I realized since I've seen Die Hard Two because I have no idea what you're talking about. It's almost yeah. like it's not a very memorable movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost as though there was one good Die Hard movie. Yep. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I will. Uh, there are two say. good Die Hard movies. And you wash oh, your mouth enough. out, good sir. That's true. I forgot about Live Free or Die Hard. God <laughs> damn it. They have to hack all the web simultaneously. Uh, or what the hell was the other one? The other Die Hard sequel, recent one. Die Hard uh, Another Day? No, not Live Die Hard Another hard Day. And... Uh, what the uh, fuck was it? A Good Day to Die Hard. A Good Day to Die Hard. God damn it, it was A Good Day to Die <laughs> yeah. Hard. Damn it, I'm mad yeah. now. This is A Good Day to Die Hard. Die Hard Another Day would be an amazing title. Well, I'm sure they're working on it right now. Die Hard Another be, Day would be really good. It could be the worst Die Hard movie and reference the worst James Bond film. Die Hard Ticket to Hawaii. Uh, you, only, you only Die Hard once? Die Hard yeah, forever. I, I, I feel like Die Hard, my darling. We're having trouble talking about what's left to talk about. For My diehard Clementine. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, President, he was also in Bordello of Blood. He shorted a lot of tales from the crypt. Let's see. What the fuck else do, uh, notes do I have? Did, did, was anyone else Oh, the really Slap Chop guy edited into the Manchurian or the Mandarin things. The, uh, the inconsistency of the weight of the suit. How much is it? How much is this suit supposed to weigh? I think Light I've talked about this in every other Iron Man film. Light as a feather. <laughs> I mean, it's the, convincingly the... heavy when they want it to be. And then he's like dragging it with a rope and standing it up and pushing it over. I mean, the suit uh, is yeah. made of pure titanium, so why should that be any different? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, also, I assume, I, I assume it's... Uh, by though was... Uh, I, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, it just, your your voice was breaking up, so I was waiting for oh. the lag to catch up. What, what did you actually say? Oh, uh, one of the things I was going to say is I was actually surprised that the heights of the people in the in the who are in the same suit at different times actually check out. <laughs> William Sadler and Don Cheadle are both 5'8", and Robert Downey Jr. and Gwyneth Paltrow are both 5'9". Wow. Although, 
It all man. it all gets thrown out the window by James Badgedale, who's like five eleven. Oh man, he's a towering five eleven. I'm gonna say he <laughs> he looked huge in this movie. Yeah, uh, I mean James the, Badgedale. The, with Evan, without Evans and Hems, without the Chris's, you know the the mean height of the this film definitely goes down. A yeah, lot. Jeremy Renner's what like four foot eight. <laughs> He's an elf. <laughs> yeah, I, I still remember uh, uh, the first time I realized that Jeremy Renner, like, was a guest star in an early episode of Angel when he was yes, like he Angel's vampire. Yeah, he was. And how hilarious yep. I thought that was in everything else I've ever seen him in. I just keep thinking back to him overacting this goofy vampire character. Ooh, I might watch that one. Imagine again. how I felt after watching the majority of Mad Men and then watching Angel and finding out that <laughs> <laughs> Vincent Cardin oh, had had a career before Mad Men. Yep. Well, yes. kind of a career. Uh, <laughs> so you people use magic this, too much. Partway through this podcast, I remembered my theory that Tony Stark had died in the desert during that first explosion, mm -hmm. and that mm -hmm. the rest of that film was his uh, after like afterlife, uh, like purgatory journey through the the you know the yep. wheel of yep. karmic wheel of samsara to try and redeem himself. And now I want to try to examine this film in light of that theory, uh, because Go ahead. it it continues the trend of the the movie being about. Or, you know, the theme of the film being Tony trying to become a better person or make up for some, even, you know, the slightest wrong that he's done to someone in the past. Uh, so I feel like it still kind of works. Yep. Uh, Wheel of Cock keeps turning. Everything yeah. in the MCU? So is Avengers uh, in this karmic afterlife or is it just the uh, mainline Iron Man movies? Uh, I mean, I would say anything that involves. Uh, Tony, any, any story that is from Tony Stark's perspective or with him as the main character. Uh, uh, but certainly, you know, any other film could probably be that character's uh, karmic cycle, whatever, blobbity blue, I said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that blobbity blue. No. Except I feel like Steve Rogers doesn't really have anything to make up for. So, uh, no, he's a saint. Yeah. Uh, this would explain large swaths of Daredevil. I like. Um... You know, I do like, if we're thinking a little bit ahead to Age of Ultron, I do like that over the course of the Iron Man films, we have seen the technology basically building to that. Because in the first film, we just had the suit. And in the second film, we kind of had uh, Vanko's drones. And in this film, we have Tony's empty suit soldiers. And it's just like mm. a hop, skip, and a jump to, to the robots turning on him. And Jarvis yeah. is a little snarkier in this film. Yes. One of the, one of the things I noticed about sort of the uh, autonomous... 41 suits thing uh, at the end. Uh, Tony explains that sorry, you can't have one. And then he then he managed to, to get one on to Killian. Why, 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 does, why does one work and the other doesn't? Uh, well, he, anyone it. could have one. He just doesn't want to give him one. I just assume the that's what I said. moment, the <laughs> final set piece of the film is him voluntarily destroying all of the suits that are invaluable and useful to him as a symbol of his moral growth as a character. Yeah, he, I, there's no I reason for it. Just because he has grown as a person does not devalue these, well, this absurd technology. I, I, do, I, did, I do think that you when you... Um, look at the end of the movie you do have to recall that as as the as this movie was like in post and shooting negotiations with robert downey jr to continue to appear 
uh, in Marvel movies were in progress. And yes. because like the movie really does feel like it kind of ends with them having a, a backdoor out if they don't want Tony to be um, yeah. in, the, in the films I mean, anymore. I mean, one of the most telling moments in the movie is the second credits, which is Tony Stark will return. Not not RDJ, but also mm-hmm. because like the movie ends on such a note that you know this might be Tony Stark, you know, riding off to the sunset. He's destroyed all his machines. Yeah. Well, they don't say uh, Iron Man will this... return. Yep. Yeah. But there's this sort of uh, there's this sort of James Bond moment of Tony Stark will be back in Thunderball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hamlet I mean... will return. <laughs> no, I, I I do think that you kind of have to you. And, and this might sort of explain some of the, the difficulties the script has, is that this was a script that didn't really know for certain. It kind of has to strike this sort of weird, ambiguous ending that can go either way, because it doesn't, it's not, it's just, it doesn't, it, they really don't 100% know whether or not um, you, this character is coming back. You know, they, they, they can't yeah. say for certain. And so they kind of have to, in chain in in Pierce and Black's defense, P- Drew Pierce, the other writer. Oh, um, there's no defending Guy, Guy Pierce. Pierce, not Guy yeah. Pierce. Yeah. Yeah. Drew Pierce, uh, the uh, defense. They do well, kind you of you're right. Rebecca Black, though, right? Yeah, they do have to thread this needle in terms of like we really don't know if there's going to be an Iron Man in the next couple of movies, mm-hmm. you know, and and we need to both allow for that possibility. But also allow for the possibility that he might return, and that it, it, that's a hard needle to thread. So I am going to have to hop off here in eh, about ten or fifteen minutes to go do another podcast with Nick Smith. Um, so Hi, Nick Smith. G- given that again, You're burning the candle at that both ends. Yeah, there does not seem to be a whole lot of meat left on this bone. Uh, maybe we can move into uh, our final judgments. Uh, sure. Start, okay. Starting with uh, with Daniel Watson Jones. Um, I will be right back. I, uh, hmm. I really liked the, I really liked the comedy in this film, uh, more so than in any other Marvel movie that I can think of at this second, uh, which is not very many, but, uh, overall, I don't know. It's just, what, what is the point? Of this, what does he care about? Like, what? Wow. Gwyneth Paltrow, like Pepper Potts, it's it's the same character in every film. She's portrayed as this competent woman who is very capable and very underappreciated by Tony. And she and, is wasting her time on him. And and whenever she is like driving a situation, she can do anything. But when whenever he needs to overcome a situation, she is just dragged in. To, to stand or, I, in the first film, as I recall, the the warmonger like is you know menacing her, and she spends like every shot of her is in some kind of vaguely lookalike place where she's not moving or trying to get anywhere or do anything. She's just sort of walking around in a small area wearing high heels, and I I don't remember exactly what the threat to her is in the second film. Um, but, and in this one, you know, again, she's just like wearing high heels and kind of tentatively stepping over some rubble at one point when it, it, it seems like she should be this like take charge, badass character. Uh, 
And also, it really bothered me that Tony uh, tried to catch all of those people by having them all work together and then elect electrically locking their muscles. Because I don't think I don't think that that would uh, you know when they crack the whip at the bottom of this long dive from the sky that their arms are not going to rip off. Why didn't he just <laughs> break his suit up into nineteen different pieces or especially, however many people there are? Since he is not in its, it. Yeah, and all of them have their own <laughs> propulsion because they fly through the air independently to join each other. Each one just take one person and then slow down. I think uh, we've established that Tony is maybe not using his best suit logic throughout the <laughs> Okay. Would uh, you say that logic is not his best suit? Waka, waka, waka. Oh, oh, thanks. It's, it's I'll logic, be here for yeah. the next two minutes. Uh, okay, uh, Derek, your your final thoughts. Uh, this movie's fine. Um, <laughs> it's, <laughs> I believe that is my exact uh, notes. <laughs> um, Iron Man was, three, it's you know fine. It's you know, that was a quote uh, on the box cover. In uh, in reading, I can't remember if it was the Wikipedia article or the IMDb trivia or what. Um, there was some reference to how. The film's second act was based on uh, this uh, 1940s Preston Sturgis film called Sullivan's Travels, um, where uh, you know Tony. Basically, it, it's it's about a, a film director who wants to make um, socially conscious dramas, uh, and uh, in order to do that, he uh, basically becomes a uh, a hobo. Uh, and goes out among the people to discover what's what sort of struggles they have, um, and there's and there's a there's this way in which like you can totally see that, but the the way in which um, Joel McRae as uh, Sullivan kind of changes in the middle act of that film doesn't doesn't happen as effectively here. Um, and I mean, to me, I think that that might get to some of why sort of there there's like emptiness at the core of, you know, Tony um, and of, of Tony as a character in the film. And, um, you know, like add that on top of the fact that, you know, they had to write an ambiguous ending because of the contract negotiations and stuff. Um, there, there's just there's this odd kind of subtle way in which it doesn't really gel or come together. Um, but the set pieces are great. Uh, the comedy's great. Um, it's, it's just the sort of the through line is, is kind of a wispy nothingness. <laughs> a wispy nothingness. <laughs> yes. yes. And That's the name of my, uh, movie the dank. Oh brother, where art thou? <laughs> That's right. That's right. There you go. And at the end, he decides that he doesn't want to do socially relevant stuff because that's stupid. <laughs> Comedy's where it's really at. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Patrick, your your final thoughts. I mean, I really do. I really enjoy this movie, and I think the parts of it that that do work work spectacularly well. Um, like the the action set pieces are some of the best uh, that that we have with Iron Man because they use. Even if his, even if his, even if Tony himself isn't operating on suit logic, it uses his suits in interesting and different ways. 
that, you know, as opposed to just him kind of like flying around and shooting things. And, you know, I really kind of dig that. And I, I dig a lot of the comedy. I dig the, the, the bromance and I dig Trevor Slattery. Um, but I, I do kind of think looking at it again, I think that it, it, this is a movie that maybe doesn't really gel very well with a lot of the Marvel universe in, in a couple of ways. Um, it, it sort of, it really does sort of feel like almost like this was a side story that was written and kind of kind of goes off onto its own sort of thing. Um, and and I do also think that the 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 plot skeleton that they holds the movie up is a little doesn't quite hold it up as well as it should. And part of that just sort of has to do with Killian. Killian is not the strongest villain, you know, as we talked about. And he's he just he really just sort of feels like a little too similar to things that we've seen before, only without the panache of of um, you know, I, the Ironmonger, say. Um, and it yes, I know you're all thinking about how Tony Stark built this in a cave with a box of scraps. <laughs> in a cave um, with a box of scraps. And, and I do. It's uh, there's an amazing character story in this, and I and and sort of one of the weaker plot stories because of it, because yeah. it, it does sort of, it, and and to a degree, I think the way I enjoy this the most is not caring all that much about the plot, but caring a lot about the character arc. Um, but uh, looking back at it again, I, I do sort of Pepper does really does feel um, very underused. Um, like I I I love. You know, she's got a, her fight sequence is awesome, but it, it does sort of feel a little tacked on. Like I, I yeah. really, I, I almost wish to a degree that he and Pepper had gotten separated together and it had about them really being forced to actually be with each other by themselves without actually having all of the sort of support structure of their friends and the money to actually like paper over any disagreements that they might have had like make this the movie about their relationship in a way yeah hmm. i That'd be interesting i yeah. i really want to see these like marvel properties break into any other genre of film than this sort of heroic individual growth story like it could be a mystery it could be a romantic comedy it could be I mean, uh, Winter Soldier's political thriller, and it works really well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could do, you could just do a slapstick comedy. They, they don't have to be. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're. Or, I mean, uh, I mean that certainly. You know. Yeah, I mean, that certainly seems like uh, Thor Ragnarok is probably going to be much more humorous than yes. uh, at least previous Thor movies have been, and his uh, previous Thor movies have been pretty uh, pretty dour. And I would I argue that the Netflix know. shows have. Did, did you watch the first Thor film? Do you remember that broad <laughs> sitcom? I, that was the episode you that can't I called them broad. I, wasn't true. Before, so I uh, I haven't seen it in a while. I guess there is there certainly is some there certainly is comedy there, but uh, I mean I, I would argue that I Marvel movies, kind of falls flat. 
I would argue the Marvel movies, and I include the Netflix shows in this, are at their best when each character kind of stands because is each character is used as a vehicle as a different genre of movie. So Je- Jessica Jones movies are no Jessica Jones, for example, noir is hell. Um, you know, Winter Soldier as a political thriller, um, using using the uh, kind of old school sci fi for Thor Ragnarok, as as Taika Waititi has said, or doing space opera with the Guardians. Like that, to me, the Marvel movies are always at their strongest when you kind of use each movie as a each well, they're not each movie, each property or sort of like header movie as kind of like indicating. This is a Marvel movie that is a political thriller, you know. So it's political thriller through the lens of a Marvel movie, or a noir through the lens of Marvel. Mm-hmm. If if Jug Band were the name of a genre of film, mm-hmm. what kind of film do you think that film would be? Puppet film consisting entirely of otters. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I mean it would be Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, right? Yeah. 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 Dude, I don't even understand or, why you're asking uh, this question. Or it would be. Or it would be. Like I haven't some... seen that yet. <laughs> It would be uh, like a movie, hillbilly uh, pop culture moment when yeah. hillbillies were really popular. Uh, yeah, so or, you know, it'd be uh, some sort of comedy about hillbillies. Remember when swing dancing was popular again for like yep. three months back in 1996 or yeah, something? Ju- just long enough for them to make swingers. <laughs> uh, that's that's not what swingers is about. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen swingers. It's not about swing dance. No, it has a bit of swing dance at the end. Yeah. Um. Anyway, um, my my final thought, uh, because I think a lot of this has really been covered. There's two things that I want to bring up. Uh, one is uh, that scene with Tony and his fanboy in the back of that transmissions van, uh, that was brought to us by Sun Oracle. I really, yeah. really want to thank Sun Oracle for their participation in this film. Uh, and second, my favorite of the Tony costumes of the uh, Iron Man suits at the end of the film uh, is the one that is confronting a couple extremist thugs on a bridge, and he has giant spikes for hands like Megalon. I just thought that was really endearing. Because, <laughs> like, why, why, why does that suit exist? It's so he can punch through these guys with his spiky hands. Goes, blah! But he never does that. We don't, we don't see... It's like... Uh, you know, it's like Chekhov's spiky gauntlet, but we never see it go off and drill through someone. I, I, and that's I, I, indicative, I think, of the larger problems this film so has. So you would say it's entirely unlike Chekhov's shiny gauntlet, I, spiky I, gauntlet. Exactly. It's, One other thing to note. Um, sorry, Seth, I interrupted you. Okay. Uh, it's the uh, inverse of Chekhov's gauntlet. Yeah. Oh, of course, the inverse gauntlet uh, principle. Yeah, the inversity gauntlet. <laughs> this is by far and away the weirdest Stan Lee cameo. Oh yeah, where he's holding up a number uh, ten, scoring, uh, scoring the <laughs> a beauty pageant, like a local, yeah, he's, he's like a local rural Tennessee beauty pageant. Yep, and very enthusiastic about it. Yeah, you don't oh. think that this is actually the most realistic Stanley cameo? Yeah, what do you think he's doing these days? <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, do we want to talk about the post credit sequence? Uh, sorry, I was asleep. Sure. Apparently not. Go ahead. Go ahead. Do you have? Do you seem we, to have thoughts. We know. We just that we mentioned early on about the narration. The oh, final yeah, payoff, payoff is actually pretty damn funny. Is that it turns out he's been talking to Bruce Banner the entire time, and Bruce fell asleep like almost from the beginning. 
Well, I, I buy that, though, because uh, Tony's uh, boring, and Bruce has probably taken a lot of Valium for other reasons. Yes. I, I mean, mean I, I will say this. start his story at a science conference in Switzerland. That's not the most rock'em, sock'em way to start a story. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah you, ever, you ever see Dashiell Hammett start a story at a science conference? If there, was, if there was a character that, I was, that you would expect to be in the Iron Man movie, it would be Bruce, because they're science bros. And also, it makes the most sense that the Hulk would not want to get involved in this because the Hulk, in getting involved in situations, tends to cause more. Uh, yeah, he would rip the president in half. Yeah, where are they going to be? But isn't the Hulk really good <laughs> yeah, at I mean, really. dealing with emotional issues? Because he has to be. <laughs> He's always <laughs> angry. Hey, he could be talking to He's Doc Samson, as played by Ty Burrell. I don't want to talk about Ty Burrell. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds like but, yeah, something I mean, that a man is. who wants to talk about Ty Burrell would say. No, we, I've already given my Ty Burrell. <laughs> my, fe- my feelings on the subject uh, of Ty Burrell are well documented. This is not your other podcast, the Ty Burrellium. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know what that meant. Go on. Anyway, our, ne- our next film... Um, we're, we're Do going- I not get final thoughts? You gave your final thoughts, didn't you? No. Apparently not, because he still has more oh, thoughts, okay. Stefan. What, what are your more thoughts? <laughs> well, I, I don't know if I want to bother. No. Okay. Um, okay, then, Scarlett O'Hara. <laughs> you, know, you know we need your thoughts? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, th- I think a lot of what, what has been said, uh, I agree with this. I, certainly the This is why you don't get final thoughts, because you glitch out. The, yeah. Could you please repeat whatever your last sentence was? Because it came through uh, like it was a transition scene in The Lawnmower Man. <laughs> I would have to have seen The Lawnmower Man to know what that means, but all right. Uh, picture Max's uh, headroom as if he were yelling when it <laughs> fell through a vortex. Uh, <laughs> boom. Okay. Uh, am I, I'm sounding good now, though? Yes. Uh, for the time being. Okay. Um, well, what I was saying is, I mean, I think I was generally agreeing with, um, Derek and Duge's points about the, um, sort of disposability of this villain. I feel like in a lot of ways, Killian's maybe the most forgettable or certainly one of the most forgettable Marvel villains that we've had. And again, to go back to a point I made earlier, I'm just really sad that they, uh, get rid of my, uh, Angelou to the way through the movie. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, it's, I, 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 I mean, I came into this movie assuming that it was an adaptation of I Know Why the Cage Bird th- Sings, yeah. and <laughs> then they just go entirely off, off book, and it's just really off-putting and really disrespectful to, uh, to this just be- beloved author. I thought it was, uh, a, but no. it was a bold play to cast Guy Pierce as Maya Angelou. I'm not I sure he has the that. range. <laughs> it was it was an interesting choice, um, and yeah, I mean the fact that Marvel decided that Maya Angelou was going to be the villain of this movie that was you know that's gonna that's gonna antagonize oh. the people, but it's also the kind of risk that you know. It is a fundamental principle of the multiverse that there is a world where Maya Angelou is the most common film villain of all time. Oh, it reminds me of uh, the title of one of my favorite Venture Brothers episodes. I know why the caged bird kills. Well, I think I, I think I know what you were talking about with the lawnmower man thing because that just happened with all of you guys. Different directions. Um, that is actually happening right now. <laughs> but actually, back to the actual Maya in this uh, in this movie. 
Uh, again, I just feel like she she was a much more interesting villain and not, you know, business evil businessman number eight the way that Killian is. Uh, so it's it was a it was a bad choice to have gotten rid of her uh, so early on. And let's see. Uh, oh, and the finale is incredibly toyetic. Imagine all of the uh, toys you can make out of uh, <laughs> all of these different Iron Men. That's true. Uh, I'm going to assume that you made up a word, and I love it. Uh, nope. Nope. Toyetic's a word. Oh, my God. All right. Uh, uh, I also, I also during my notes, came up with the idea for a pop culture mashup Tumblr called James Badge Dale Gribble. I immediately had to throw that idea out because it took me about 20 minutes to find an image of James Badge Dale, which would uh, kind of work for pocket sand. And even then, it doesn't work very well. So I don't think there's actually much meat on that bone, as we have seen with Iron Man 3 itself. But uh, there's a lot of jokes about James Badge Dale in my Twitter feed here. I I completely forgot Wait. that the character's name was Maya. And I thought you were saying, my, and then pausing to think and saying, uh. And then there was a long gap. And that's why I said Angelou. Oh, okay. Got it. That, that checks out. <laughs> All right. <laughs> also, James Badge Dale, James Badge Dale, if you're listening, I have uh, the name of your memoir for you. It's Born Under a Badge Sign, the James Badge Dale story. So, it, James Badge Dale, if you're listening, or if anyone listening, if any of our 40 listeners knows James Badge Dale and thinks James Badge Dale is in the market or for a memoir is title, thinking about writing an unauthorized biography mm-hmm. of James oh, yes. Badge Dale. Yeah. Yes. I'm going to say, Stefan, if you want to start another podcast and, it wa- and if you want it to be about James Badge Dale, it should be called Badge to the Bone. Oh, da 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 da. <laughs>